What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Nimbus Cloud Podcast. Joining me today is the one and only Joey from Shenron's Lair, a.k.a. Crossworld TCG, a.k.a. the man who gives you all the details after every large tournament. How you doing today, brother? I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate all the different aliases, too. <laughs> yeah, I feel like every time I have someone on, I have to give a million aliases, just, just AKA until I can't AKA anymore. I love <laughs> How it. you doing, man? Pretty good, man. I can't complain. You know, just uh, school, YouTubing. How about you? How you doing? Doing good, man. You know, regular job, too, trying to YouTube this thing. You know, you're a, our second guest, so thank you for that. Thank you for your time. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Uh, well, you know, let's get down to the nitty-gritty, you know, because a lot of people know you in the Dragon Ball community because, as I mentioned, you know, you're one of those people that after every tournament, you find out who topped, you find out about their decks, you connect with them, you get their thoughts and insights, which is very unique and honestly very awesome for the community. Uh, just, But tell us a little bit about yourself, man. What's a, like, tell us a little about Joey. So, Joey, uh, behind behind the scenes Crossworld. Um... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a fifth-year college student, so uh, those of you guys laughing at me, I appreciate it. But uh, Hey, I'm a, I was sixth year before I graduated, so... Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> become more popular, way more popular to graduate in like five, six years, but hopefully finishing up this year. Um, besides, you know, playing Dragon Ball, I play a lot of League of Legends. I'm very, very noobish at League of Legends, though, so no, don't... If you're plat, like, don't hit me up. But um, <laughs> besides that, I uh, love writing. That's going to be, like, ideally my... Uh, professional career somewhere in writing like editing publishing that's why i really love doing the patreon too it lets me write articles i feel like i'm like way better with written word rather than like speaking in videos sometimes i talk too fast or i stutter you know whatever but written word i've always been pretty good with so um love comic books um you see the black panther shirt on right now yeah uh, huge comic geek i would love to you know write some, i'm trying to write some comics too i'm actually in the process of Ooh. writing my first comic so trying to do a lot of things at, at once Nice. Is the comic an OC character, or are you trying to write, like... Yeah, yeah, it's all original content, original IP. Um, obviously, you know, based off stuff I grew up with, but, like, I grew up with a lot of different genres, like anime, comics. Um, Preacher is one of my favorite books, if you guys ever read that. It's kind of out there, like, you know, sci-fi, weird stuff. I love it all. So who's, who's your favorite comic book hero? Uh, as cliche as it sounds, definitely Spider-Man. Just, like, that nitty-gritty, upcoming, like... Uh, you know, the, the witty response to everything, but he's a respectful kid, and he's just like, you know, no matter how much stuff gets down on him, he's always, you know, trying to fight through it, which I love about Spider-Man. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, my favorite's uh, always been Deadpool. Then right up there next to him is Wolverine and Spider-Man, but, like, Deadpool is, like, even before the movies, it's just he's been my guy. Like, someone that just talks shit and is such a badass, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to really argue with. Yeah, he's one of the most fun characters, and uh, my second favorite is definitely Daredevil. Um, Daredevil just like he has such a sick story, like, and he's like the polar opposite of Spider-Man, even though they work together a lot. Like, I mean, this is definitely not a comic podcast, so I won't get too deep into <laughs> it. But two of my favorite hey, characters man, for sure. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know, comic books are so interesting. The same thing with Dragon Ball, which I'm sure probably influenced you in some way. It's like there's there's these things that are about us to help shape who we are as a person, which, you know, that's why it's also important. It's important to know what kind of heroes you like. Cause you know, are you, and it's also interesting cause it kind of plays into your play style, right? Because you just said yourself, you like to play Spider-Man and Daredevil. To me, your play style from what I've seen uh, from your, from your videos and everything is more like methodical and kind of like thinking before you go and like taking those risks. 
instead of just being a straight up beat down like someone who likes the Hulk or gla- or a thing. You know what I mean? Like those heavy characters. So that's yeah, why it's yeah. interesting. It pretty it's much cool. hits me on the head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, what kind of so aside from like writing in comic books, is there anything else you like to do on your free time, or is that? Uh, I've been playing more and more League, which is distracting me from my writing, so that's not great. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get ready for nationals. Uh, so Dragon Ball is taking up a lot of my time right now. I work on the channel and the Patreon like basically every single day, um, even through weekends. So um, that's that's most of my time. Uh, mm-hmm. I love I I go to the gym. I work out at least five days a week. Um, I live right next to Boston, so I try and go to Boston as much as I can. I just I love walking through cities. Um, I'm a, I'm definitely a city a city person, so uh, hmm. that's some of my stuff I like to do. So all right, so we kind of spoke a little bit before the podcast, and I was telling you how I go to Pax. Right, there's this one place in downtown Boston. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like one of my favorite places to go there. It's like this random Asian bar that has like karaoke and a dance floor up top. Crave, and I think so. Oh, all right. Here's 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 the main uh, characteristic of it. There's a guy that comes around every so often with a bucket of chicken for a dollar. Uh, that might be Crave. I think I know that, what you're talking about. Oh, I've been dude, there I once love twice. It's really really good. Yeah, I love that place. <laughs> but anyway, uh, cool. Well, that's that's awesome. And it's very busy man. Obviously, student and doing all this other stuff. You know, thank you for having the time to do the content that you do. Just be my honest. pleasure, man. I love it. So, I love doing it for the community. Like it's work that I really enjoy, which is great and. The community seems to like it, so I mean, it just seems like all pluses from there. Yeah, and to your point, also it helps your portfolio when you go when you go further into your journalism career, which is great. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, how long have you been playing card games? So I've been playing card games for uh, my whole life, like not competitively. Like played Yu-Gi-Oh when I was a very young kid. Never really gave it up, and I used to get crap from my cousins all the time. They're like, "When are you gonna grow out of this? Like, you're too you're too old to be playing card games." And for some reason, just never grew out of it. And then when I um, when I got to college, I moved from Jersey to Boston, which is about like four or five hours away. And yeah. once I got to college, I started playing Yu-Gi-Oh competitively. So that was about five years ago. And then uh, two years ago, quit Yu-Gi-Oh. Really just couldn't stand the game anymore. It got to a point where it wasn't enjoyable anymore. And then I picked up Dragon Ball and haven't looked back since. Oh, well, very interesting. I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh, obviously, the, the big boy next to Magic and Pokemon, of course. So what drew you to Dragon Ball? So it was pretty funny. Like, I was still in Yu-Gi-Oh at this point, and um, me and my friend went to our, our local hobby shop, and we saw the Dragon Ball packs. And this was, like, set two. Yeah. And a lot of times, Yu-Gi-Oh players, they just use, like, other card game cards as field centers, like tokens, basically. So we bought the packs just to, like, see what they look like. And, like we fell in love with the card art immediately. Uh, the first card I pulled in a pack was the SR Trunks from set two. I think it's called uh, Constant Hope. I think it's like the six drop, triple strike, that oh, whole thing. Yeah. But the card was uh, super dope looking. So then we were like, okay, we're going to buy structure decks. We're going to learn how to play this game. And um, from there, like, I learned how to play. My friend was like more of a casual card gamer, so he didn't really come to locals much. But like, I started going to Dragon Ball locals, and I got some of my uh, Yu-Gi-Oh friends into Dragon Ball. And they kind of saw too, like, wow, this game is a little, a lot more skill intensive, a lot more enjoyable. So um, ever since then, we just kept growing it uh, in the local Boston scene. Wow, that's pretty awesome. You basically came through and practically made the scene all but flourish. That's pretty amazing. You do more than just do YouTube. You do a lot of stuff for the community. <laughs> I try my uh, best, dude. Like, this, I want this game to pierce the big three, like, and that I can foresee that happening very soon. Oh, yeah, of course. So, with that being said, you said you started in set two. What was the first leader you played with? Like, uh, first that, leader you, I played that you built with? the leopard. 
Sorry, what's up? That you built a deck with. That I built a deck with. So I got the Soul Striker starter deck, and you know, of course, it was your boy Goku. But I really love the uh, I love the untapping energy mechanic. That was super mm. cool to me for some reason. Like I, I when I when I started the game, like compared to what I know now, I look back on that and I was like, wow, I my knowledge of the game was negative, like so negative. <laughs> um, and I you know played the structure deck, and then I started upgrading my Soul Striker deck. I started looking at what was topping because I had a competitive background in Yu-Gi-Oh, so I knew how to like, you know, I know how to search for competitive things in the game. So I built blue green Soul Striker, mm. uh, messed around with blue green Vegeta a little bit. So I had like Broly Vegeta hand control, and then I had like Soul Striker, just like typical blue, blue green stuff. So and then uh, Soul Striker is what I ended up sticking with until like set three came around. Nice. What made you decide to go off a of Soul Striker? What was the card? You pretty much pegged it on the head. Like, it was my play style. Uh, Vegeta was much more aggro, you know, with all the crit and whatnot. And Soul Striker was just, like... If you ever played Yu-Gi-Oh!, uh, it reminded me of Goats, which is, like, super resource-intensive. Like, you just, like, have... You have to be the better player, and you have to outgrind your opponent. And those are the kinds of decks that I really enjoy, uh, as opposed to Vegeta. Vegeta was fun, but, like, I didn't really enjoy just, like, the... Okay, you have to attack every turn, and you have to, like play this kind of way i liked how soul trigger gave me a lot of options yeah and hidden, hidden awakening kale was just such a good like such a busted card oh yeah oh man i remember when i remember when i started my first leader i played with was broly and hidden awakening kale was just too busted in that deck too it was like uh yeah that card was so cool <laughs> so what was the what was the leader that made you get off a of soul striker get off a of soul striker so i guess when set three came around i started messing with ss3 which was before it was busted. Um, if you go back, to, like if you go back to the archives of the channel, like I guess two years ago now almost, I built I built a red blue SS3 deck, but it wasn't like the chain Zeno variant. It was like uh, just like good defensive cards, like Topo combo into play Gohan, and that was really fun. But I really fell in love with uh, the yellow Goku leader. Is a yellow kid Goku. Look mm -hmm. at top ten. Add add any Bulma. So like a tie for my favorite leader definitely is like between Soul Striker and um kid Go yellow kid goku at that point so uh mm -hmm. that was cool i built yellow kid goku veggies after mecha frieza got banned yeah or, or i guess errata technically um so that was really cool uh, at the, up until that point those were my two favorite leaders soul striker and uh yellow kid goku for sure oh that's pretty tight man um so with soul striker you know obviously all these silver bullets the borgos the raditz the kami the we so sad it's so sad Do but for whatever reason, there's been a lot more talk recently, especially in the Facebook group, about Soul Striker making a comeback. Do you feel like that's possible? I don't know, man. Like they they announced what their um you know the leaders are gonna revamp, and I'm really sad. I'm actually really surprised too that Soul Striker didn't get picked. Like that's been a fan favorite in the community for so long, and I'm really surprised they didn't get picked. But uh, I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to play a leader like that because of obviously, like you said, Borgos things like that. It's like you can play answers, but if you have to spend your entire, you know, game plan just answering problems, you can't really win the game efficiently. So that kind of sucks. But um, you know, the closest thing we have to a replacement for that is like the the um the ultimate box of a Geo leader, the one that like lets you mm. exchange energy from your hand. So yeah. that's really cool, like a kind of experiment to change around with that. But as far as like upgrading Soul Striker, the only thing you could really get, in my opinion, would be a way to gain advantage on awaken because like you can untap energy a lot but the problem with the leader is like you have no hand until you awaken so um that would be the way i would see them improving it are they going to do that anytime soon i don't know a leader that can draw and manipulate energy can be kind of busted so we'll see
Yeah, we'll definitely get into those leaders in a little bit because that's a whole discussion and stuff because that is like mind blown on the leaders that were chosen. Right. Uh, so, you know, we, we talked about it, you know, obviously, you know, you're you're one of the guys that's really been grinding this YouTube. How did it start for you, man? So, actually, so I started playing Dragon Ball when I was living in California and I know you're a West Coast mm. guy. So I was living in Chico uh, for a year for school. Nice. And that was the first local scene that I helped get started. And my first event for the game was the San Jose Regional. Uh, I guess it was actually a pre-regional. So I took Mecha Frieza Apes to that event because it was like, you know, it was basically a tier zero deck. And I got top 32, which was sick. Uh, I was like super excited, super hyped up. And like I mentioned before, we were building like really crazy decks, like me and my play group. So we were building like the uh, Kid Goku Veggies. We were building the uh, really bad version of Red Blue SS3. But... um. From that, I was like, dang, I kind of want to start a YouTube channel because the game at that point was so creative. And I feel like we're we're finally coming back to that point of creativity. So that was what made me want to start doing the YouTube channel. I was like, I have some cool ideas. I can get them out there. Not too many people are doing it right now. So it would be pretty cool to like get in that scene. And uh, I started from that. And then I started uploading five days a week and have not looked back since. That's awesome, man. Has there any been any struggles for you uh, throughout the journey? Yeah, it's tough. Actually, the summer was uh, kind of rough. And apparently, like, the summer is a downtime for YouTube in general, which mm. I didn't really know. But, like, it was weird. When the summer started, my views all started, like, plummeting a little bit. And I was, like, really discouraged. I was like, wow, like, am I doing something wrong? You know, like, am I uh, – are people not enjoying the content anymore? And that was really rough to deal with. But then I kind of did some research, saw, like, YouTube kind of struggles in the summer – you know because people are doing things vacationing this and that uh and now actually that school started back up i noticed that it, it's kind of come back to to normal but besides awesome. that like struggles not too much uh it's it's the perfect side job for a student to be honest because the hours are flexible like i work when i'm free it's it's really really nice um you don't really start making money until you know until you have a good a good following for the most part but um you know i'm a college student so it's a really great side gig for that kind of deal. That's sure. cool, man. So uh, at what point, so like I mentioned, like, you know, your content is unique. Like I said, you go off, you go out after these players who win tournaments that are not even streamed. You get, you get their deck profiles, you get their thoughts and opinions on them. At what point were you like, yeah, this is my thing and this is what I'm going to run with? Because you really have ran with it. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that, man. Um, so a few things, like one, there were, or there still are, a lot of YouTube uh, content creators for, for Yu-Gi-Oh! that I really, really like their content. You know, they do competitive mm -hmm. analysis. Uh, I kind of think there's, like, two different types of channels out there. There's more casual channels, like, you know, Super Players and, um, what's it, Mufubajar. They do a lot of openings, and, like, they're more for, I feel like you go watch them for fun most of the time, which is super cool. Like, we definitely need that, because they have the biggest followings. So we need that to attract people to the game. But once people get into the competitive scene, you know, I feel like you have me, Android, people like that who do a lot more of the competitive analysis, which, you know, I'm a competitive player. So that kind of just falls right into my niche. And um, as far as like the reporting on tournaments and getting player interviews, I kind of treat it like uh, real life journalism in a sense. Like I think journalism mm -hmm. is very important when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, just reporting on, you know, what's going on. So I really enjoy like trying to figure out all that information and then, like, you know, when I take the top 16 or the top 32 of a tournament, I obviously give my opinions on it. Well, this deck was in a good position because of this reason. This deck was in a bad position because of that reason. 
and I really enjoy like stringing those things together. And again, I get a lot of positive feedback on the channel. So, I mean, I guess I'm giving out some helpful stuff, which is really cool. Um, you know, people come to my channel and they're like, you know, wow, you helped me like learn about the game in this way. And that's uh, it's really rewarding. So I'm going to keep doing it as long as uh, people like it for sure. And as far as the player interviews, I love that stuff, man. I love giving people a platform to just like, you know, for one, be proud of their accomplishment. And for two, just um, get their ideas out there. Because that, that's why I started my channel to get my ideas out there. So giving people that platform is really cool. Yeah, man. Uh, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, man. You are one of the inspirations for me to start this podcast and start this format. Because like you said, you're you're giving, you're giving these people that don't really have a platform. And I feel like, because I come from production. When I, when I produced, I did a lot of fighting game content with a lot of fighting game players. And the problem I saw was we're not really seeing these personalities that these people have. Which I feel like is important because, you know personalities eventually will attract people because like you mentioned we need those important people like the super players and mafuba jar because their personalities are attracting people and bringing more eyes to the game which is important and i feel like people need to understand like all these other top players like you know like you peter uh buttersworth whatever and now is and uh you know like there's a whole bunch marcel everybody and uh, right. anthony hernandez like people that don't have their own channel and aren't uploading daily like they, they need those like they, 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 they should have those uh, those venues to be able to talk about it and discuss. And it's like, you know, like I said, I pre like like you said, I you are an inspiration for me to start this, to give, you know, just give a platform, another platform for people to talk about it, you know. And we've seen people wanting to do that, right? Frank Miller with his mailman rants for the past month has been amazing. And it's like it's one of really the best fun, things yeah. going on. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Like, I definitely think we need more content creators and like, it's not even about like, oh man, I have more competition. That's a bad thing. No, we need more content creators because it gets more people invested in the game and podcasts too. Like I did a handful of podcasts on my channel. Um, it wasn't, I don't think it was my cup of tea to host one all the time because it's very mm -hmm. long and uh, very long winded, but we need way more people to do podcasts. Cause like, I love listening to podcasts, but like for me personally, it was draining to host them on top of doing everything else. But the more podcasts we can get in this game, the better. I, I definitely think that. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping, you know, it's super casual. I hope you're feeling that too, like how casual it is and just having fun. Just oh, man, this is awesome. This is amazing. <laughs> I'm glad, man. Thank you. Uh, so you kind of already answered my next question about getting these players. Cause, but ha have you had any challenges getting anybody, especially from the overseas tournaments? Uh, like getting the information from the tournaments, you mean? Yeah, or like getting in contact with them or for, yeah, like the players themselves. Yeah, it can be tough sometimes. Like whenever, um, whenever ARG used to do tournaments, which they don't do anymore, or when uh, PPG used to do tournaments, or you know they still do tournaments, uh, they usually post a deck list, which is super super helpful. Like I get the top sixteen or top thirty two, and it's it's great. Um, some of the other companies like Core TCG, uh, Tac Gaming, they get them out, but they don't get them out the next day, which is really tough. Like I know it's hard. Like it's a hard turnaround. They just got done with the tournament. But as you know, the content creation side of it, we need those things as soon as possible. Because if I'm reporting on a tournament like you know from a week ago, nobody wants to see it anymore, and that's kind of unfortunate. Mm -hmm. As far as reaching the actual players, what I try and do is I always make a post in the Facebook group saying, "Hey, if you topped this tournament, contact me. We'll get your deck on the channel." For one, you know, I don't want to be like cherry picking people. Like I don't want to pick the same people all the time, or I don't want to try and get the same decks all the time. Because if I, if I profile, you know, five Genemas in a row. Nobody really wants to see that, unfortunately. But um, typically, it's pretty easy. The hardest thing is, like, setting up time zones. Like, uh, the other day, I did a video on my channel with uh, Silk Michael, who got first place at a UK event. 
and yeah. you know he's like six hours um i think behind or ahead whatever i forget but um that was kind of tough setup but for the most part you know if if the player really wants to be on we we make it work uh we definitely make it work and that was one thing i kind of wanted to mention really quick is like i want to keep doing this too because it would be so cool if card games got on the level of esports Ooh, and that's yeah. that's so hard to do um mainly i think because card games are very slow methodical it's like chess you know it's not it's not quote-unquote sexy to watch you know what i mean like it's not always exciting but um if we have like you know this professional coverage if we have like people getting their personalities out there hopefully we'll get closer and closer as time goes on yeah dude me and you are on the same wavelength with that man i feel like card games they really can it just needs that needs extra oomph and that extra excitement to go along with it which you know i feel like dragon ball because of the ip is getting to that point and yeah, the especially, IP helps you know, a lot. Yeah, yeah get, for having the IP itself and then also, like, commentators getting more practice and just getting better as time goes on, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely helping the game a lot. So, um, speaking of esports, you are a part of one of the strongest teams out there in Shenron's Lair. How did that happen, and what's it like being a part of Shenron's Lair? So, how did that happen? So, when I was living in Chico, like I mentioned, I was still very, very new to the game, <clears throat> and... Uh, so being in Chico, I was like all the way north in California, and there was a pre-release event for set three uh, in Fresno, which was like a four-hour drive south. Yeah. I went four hours by myself, got an Airbnb just to play in this tournament. It was like a 100-player tournament, so it was like almost like a mini-regional, even though it was just a pre-release. Like they rented out like a, uh, a space for it and everything. So I went there, really wanted to play really badly, and uh, I walk in. I'm, I'm just like trading with some people. I don't know anyone at this event. And, and then Shenron's Lair walks in. At, at the time, it was just um, it was just Marcus, Caleb, Josh, uh, and a few of the other guys. Some of them aren't on the team anymore. But it was just like the West Coast crew. Because they, they used to be only West Coast. So, uh, you know, a few of the guys I was trading with, they were like, oh, my God, that's Shenron's Lair. And I, and I had no idea who Shenron's Lair was at that point. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't know about the website. I didn't know about anything. They were just a bunch of big dudes. And they were, like, kind of intimidating. So I was like, oh, wow. And then uh, I played against a few of them at the tournament. Uh, and that was really cool. They were actually super, super nice guys. Uh, I played against Caleb and Josh, who are actually brothers. Uh, Caleb's still my teammate. Josh doesn't play anymore. He's a, he's a teacher, has a real mm. real big-time job. But I miss that guy a lot. <laughs> but anyways, so after that, they actually gave us a lunch break for the tournament. And uh, I was talking to Marcus and Caleb and them. And Marcus was like, you know, why don't you come to lunch with us? And that was just, like, surreal. Like, that was so cool. And, um, you know, I obviously started to learn more about what Sherman's Lair was. Became friends with them. And then when I moved back to Boston, I stayed in touch with Marcus, like, you know, getting advice from him. We were bouncing ideas off each other, things like that. And then they opened up a, an application for, you know, East Coast side of the team. I applied, mm. talked to Marcus. He said he really wanted me on the team because we obviously, you know, kept in touch. I was a growing content creator. So it kind of, you know, was mutually beneficial. And uh, it's all been history from there. Dude, that's really cool, man. I didn't. That's a pretty awesome story. So as far as the East Coast team, who's on it? So East Coast, we've actually grown a lot, but uh, just off the top of my head, we've got Matthew Coombs, Richard Zapp, Pat O'Neill, Frisco Foz, Corbin Nesfetter. Those are the guys on 3XG Productions, if you guys know their Patreon. They have a really, really big Patreon in the game. They do a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, East Coast, we have Trey Faircloth. We have myself. Um, if I'm forgetting anyone, I'm so sorry. We have uh, Jamal Moultrie. Uh, that might be the entire East Coast. Um mm. We have one guy in Australia, Jack. We have all the guys in the West Coast. We're at almost like 20 players now. We're, we've grown quite a lot. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool though that uh, you're a part of this team. You're still allowed to have your own content that kind of lives not really separate, but you know, not completely Shenron's lair, which is pretty cool. Yeah, man, Marcus like. As a team owner and captain, like, Marcus is the man. Like, you know, he he's never wanted to encroach on my thing. Like, he's always been supportive of it. And, uh, you know, he's he's been an amazing leader, for sure. That's awesome. Sounds like the dream. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, uh, one of the things that's cool, because, like, you know, to your point, like, when you see Shenron's layer, like, for me, when I first saw him, I didn't really know. The first thing that struck out to me was their jerseys and how sick they look. They're dope. <laughs> what is What was your reaction when you saw the new jerseys? Because they look rad as hell. Dude, the new jerseys with the black dragon looks so, oh. so sick. I cannot wait for Nats to rock that jersey, man. Like, uh, it was just, it was so cool. Like, my teammates wore them at the uh, Niagara Regional. They look dope. And uh, it's it's just professional, you know what I mean? Like, that's that that's that level you need to be at for, uh, you know, trying to get as close to esports as possible. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Sherman's Lair is one of those teams that's really making the leaps towards that, which is pretty awesome. We're trying our best, man. <laughs> so, uh... A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of other content on your channel is like, uh, like you know, showcasing some decks. And uh, what is your, so what is your mindset when you go into deck building? Like, do you try and find something that's like, that can be meta? Do you try and find something that's anti-meta? Like, what is your mindset when you start building? So it's really weird. So we talked a little bit before about playstyle. Like, I do feel like some people don't think playstyle exists. Some people think like, you just play the best deck, you get proficient with it, and you just you just play. I think playstyle is very, very real. Like, when Broly Headed Mastery was the top deck, I couldn't play it. Like, the Broly leader just cut way too much life, and I felt, like, vulnerable at all points. Where, like, skillless, when I played that for a while, I had a lot of life to work with. I could be very aggressive. I could be very defensive. And that's my kind of thing with, with playing the game is, like, I love when a deck gives me options. I love when I can turn the gas on, and I love when I can sit back and play defense. So that's the most thing I try and do when I build a deck, you know, like I don't, and, and my, one of my good friends in this game, Danny Wynn, like he always gives me crap for this. Like I never just want to do the most broken thing in the game. Like Shenron Gogeta, like I know the deck is obscenely broken, but like I wouldn't enjoy playing it for one. And for two, like uh, it doesn't have options, which I hate. So I always try and build a deck that is definitely can be meta, has good meta matchups and gives me options for sure. That's where the skillless deck came from. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it had, it could be everything potentially. It didn't have any auto loss matchups, and it had options, which I loved. Nice, uh, yeah. I mean, to your point, it's it's so hard, and like you know, you hear from other players, like some like some players don't even run the gates because they want to aggro you so hard. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's rough. But uh, <laughs> so what? So like like we mentioned, you've seen a lot of decks uh, from you know the past couple of years that have top tournaments. Has there been one that's like? I cannot believe this actually topped. And then when you saw the list, you were like, how did you get so far with this list? Man. And it's not uh, even throwing shade because, you know, those rogue decks are can be pretty busted when no one's prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, you know, most of the interviews I've done, like, I try and give the benefit of the doubt, you know? Like, I try I try not to be, like, uh, very, very opinionated and very, very egotistical because I feel like a big problem in card games, like, I noticed this in Yu-Gi-Oh! And I kind of noticed it in Dragon Ball. Like, ego is a big problem. Like, mm. oh, your deck's not the same as mine. Your deck is bad. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's a big problem. And if I look at a deck and I don't agree with it, but if, if it has the results to back it up, well, then, like, you got to give it some merit. You know what I mean? So, uh, sure, there have been some lists. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there have definitely been some lists where I've looked at it and been like, okay, that's kind of questionable. Like, 
that's kind of weird, but you know, you you won the event or you got second place. Like I can't I can't knock you for it. You know, it's fu- it's funny coming from you considering you topped events with only three Dragon Balls and Skillless. People say that, <laughs> but like the math was I I ran uh what was it at, at ARG Invitational? I ran ten ways to get to a Dragon Ball, which is like more than a lot of people ran. You know, I ran four Goku's, three balls, and three searchers, uh, three Dende searchers. Mm. So I ran ten ways, and I ran the uh, Dende's to get more yellow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, somehow still in like in the top eight, I still managed not to see a ball. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so has there been a is there a deck that a leader or a deck that you feel should or has the potential to be better in the current meta right now? Uh, that people aren't experimenting with. I mean, I that, like I said before, we're in such a space of creativity that honestly, probably something that I can't even think of is gonna like really make ways in Nats. And like the draft box gave such great support to the game. Like you know, uh, and no one's really playing like Borgos and Weiss right now. So I think like even Golden Frieza, like set one Golden mm. Frieza can make some waves. Like that deck, if it's if it's not being checked, if people aren't running Borgos and things like that. That deck can draw a ton of cards, can make a ton of plays. That's like one, for example. Um, different wish leaders like Blue Dende, like that that has a lot of potential, especially with like AOD. Like people haven't been playing AOD, um, and it, it is tougher to play now now that like Child's Wish is gone. But we have replacements for those things, like we have Assemble the Squad and the new Boo. So um, those are two things that I think can make some waves if, if they go unchecked. And uh, Nats, I think, is going to be a free for all with that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's de- it's definitely uh, very interesting the way it's looking out. Like right now, everyone's talking about Broly apes, but that's but Nats is still almost a month away at the time of the recording. So it's like you really don't know. Do you have any idea what you're taking to Nats, or you want to keep that to the chest? I'm not totally sure, man. Like I've been testing the typical stuff like Toa, and uh, yeah, I, I personally cannot play Janemba, cannot play Shaman Gogeta. Like they're too boring for me. So out of the top three right now, it'd probably be like Toa would be my top pick maybe use six um as like the kind of um anti-meta aggro pick Uh, those are two i'm definitely considering for sure so skillless is no go oh skillless is fully retired (laughs) i love that deck to death let me tell you like that leader the the, just the options you get in the deck are surreal but i am so done not drawing dragon balls like it screwed me over in the richmond event it screwed me over at the ARG invitational but I, i can't like hate the deck because it got me to third place which was sick um so yeah i don't hate the deck by any means i love it to death but definitely time to retire it for sure <laughs> yeah i feel you there man i felt that way about Janemba for a while then they come out with this tricolor stuff and i'm like i can't get away yeah no, tricolor jump is cool it gives you a lot more yeah. options for sure yeah definitely a lot more interactive than mono blue that's for sure yeah so uh out of out of all the cards so you mentioned like you know Dropbox really helped the game a lot is there a card that you feel like had the most impact most impact right now in the community, probably Ultra Instinct Goku. Like, people just keep talking about the card. It had that stupid, crazy price spike to, like, $400 for, like, five minutes. Um, I don't get it. But no, that card's really good. I mean, it actually does give, like, Shenron uh, more defensive options. So, like, the thing with Shenron is, you know, it's normally very, very difficult to keep four energy up for a counterplay. But, like, Shenron can do that, keep four energy up, counterplay their opponent, not die, and then they can tap out for Gogeta and just win the game. Uh, yeah. Other decks, you know, can't typically do that same kind of thing, but that's a big one. Um, as far as other cards, like Galakannon, like kind of weird that that card's like really expensive right now, but it's a really good card in red decks. Like, you know, one drop counterplay, you answer like Vegeta Time Regulator. 
Uh, there's just so many good generic things. And, like, back in, like, what was it? Probably set four, set five, like, they were talking about, like, oh, we don't really want a whole lot of counterplay. We don't really want, like, this game to be like that. But uh, the players wanted it, and they and they gave it to us, and we're really happy about it. So it's doing really well so far, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah definitely. You mentioned those prices, man. Those prices are insane. I can't I can't not believe that there was even a listing for that. I saw that same post, too. Yeah, man, that was crazy. But now that I think they're, like, 50, so that's, that's more manageable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Dropbox polls were pretty, pretty bad, pretty bad. Yeah, man, just a quick comment. They should have made the old SRs, like the reprint SRs, those should have been uncommons. Like, they should have downgraded those rarities just so you could pull more SRs in a box. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, honestly, honestly, I was surprised. I didn't think it was going to be uh, that that foiling that it has now. I actually really like it a lot. I pulled at all costs. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't need this. But I was like, oh, actually, it's kind of nice. Yeah, sometimes sometimes the star foiling is cool. Sometimes it gets on me a little bit, but like the fact that like fearless pan comes different foily now, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I can see yeah. That. So uh, you mentioned it earlier towards the beginning uh, that new leaders are getting are getting kind of reworked uh, going into what set nine or whatever. Yeah. Um, which are you surprised by this list by any chance? I was pretty surprised about it. Like I did not think the community would have picked the leaders that they picked. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, the hit leader was a weird one because we just got a hit leader. Um, the SS the SS two Gohan one was um, that was kind of neat, I guess. But like, I was very surprised that people really cared about it. Um, yeah. The rest of them, like, yeah, they were cool. I mean, SS three is I can't believe that one got picked. And I'm very surprised Soul Striker didn't get picked. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, me personally, just because uh, I troll around with my friends and I'm telling them one day I will make set one Beerus work. So, <laughs> so I split my balls between Broly and Beerus. I, I was actually pretty surprised it got picked. Yeah, hit hit kind of makes sense because it's red. Hopefully it gets reworked to have the Universe 6 straight because then it will yeah. be really good. That'd be cool. Um, and then Cooler, how do you give Cooler support but the leader still ass? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I actually, I have a Cooler deck on the on the channel, like, you know, from back in the day. And it was just a, uh, it was a burst three, basically, before bursting was even a thing. It was yeah. just like it was mill three, overrealm, and place you gesh. So I mean if it's like if it's like burst three, draw one, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Give us some draw power, it definitely needs it. Yeah. Now, obviously, anytime major anyone who doesn't miss this card goes over SS three, you get a, like a slight groan as you kind of deep breath a little bit, just me mentioning it. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on SS three and how could they rework ss3 to not be as broken as it was i don't know that's a tough one man because it's like a lot of people think about ways to rework it and it just seems like unplayable you know what i mean like you know the the ramp part maybe they won't include the ramping part that would be a little bit better um but then like the question is will they give it advantage on the front side or would it be like uh you know still an awakened draw two leader and then on the back side like we've heard things like oh, you have to discard a card for each energy you want to untap, or like you can only untap one, or your deck has to be mono blue. And those are all, like, decent ideas, but, like, half of them are, like, the, the Trunks leader that exists. Um, what's it mm. called? Iron Bow Trunks. So yeah. that's already been done. So as far as, like, reworking it, I'm pretty curious what they're going to do. Like, maybe it'll just be a ramp leader and, like, have no untapping, you know what I mean? Um, mm. That could be a way to do it. Like, a more generic kind of Goku Black, maybe? I could hmm. see that being a little bit problematic, though. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it depends what they do, man. Like, honestly, I feel like it's going to be tough to balance it without making it trash. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Do you have any ideas on what they might do with it? 
No, I mean, honestly, I was, I was kind of similar to, to like what you were saying. It's like at, for resetting three is just too broken. Like in, in, in any sense of the word, no matter if you can discard a life and still resetting three is too broken. Like I feel like discarding a card and maybe resetting two, because at the end of the day, like that was my problem with SS3 the whole time. It's like you literally have no, you have like your only risk you ever take is what you take out of your life if you're playing multicolor. That's it. Right. And if you get a black card. But now it's... But even so, it's like... You can play defensively and just not ramp. Because no matter what, you're stuck at six. Yep. But it's... Restanding three is just too good. Especially now with... Um, with the Frost Deadly Poison being a thing. That... No. I don't want it. Nah, I don't care. Absolutely not, dude. That was yeah. the problem with it. Yeah. It's like... You could tap out for anything and just not get punished. And that was super lame. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like... It would be fair if it's like untapped two, only if you're tapped out. Maybe. I f- yeah, maybe. I feel, like, I feel like that could be fair, but I don't know. It's still, it's it's still two energy, and that's you can still give Vegeta the cruel and everything. It's or Kaioken or whatever. It's dumb. Yeah, I agree. There was a pretty <laughs> cool idea going around like when SS three was like a problem, and everyone was like, "Well, why don't you just you should just ban SS three, and there should be a mechanic where like at the end of every turn you untap an energy." So like. So every deck could play defense. So I was like, that'd be kind of neat. That might be kind of stupid though, but they're probably not going to do that yeah. anymore. So there's no real reason for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gogeta got a reprint, but that's a totally other conversation. That card, that needs, card needs, needs to, to get banned. <laughs> oh my goodness. So but was there a leader that you really wanted to see on this list? In particular? I mean, Soul Striker definitely was one. Uh, that yeah. kid Goku leader, that yellow kid Goku leader uh that just if they have some more like really good bulmas that could be a really cool leader to play around with uh because it's very unique you know like you know look at the top 10 at a bulma and at that time the best one was the uh draw one bulma is just you know play it for one yellow draw card uh that was that was pretty decent then they came out with like the uh mech bulmas like you know explorer bulma mm, and then like the yeah. mech suit bulma and that was a cool idea so I, I would actually like for them to explore that a little bit more but um besides that yeah those are the two i'd like to see yeah soul, soul striker definitely man that's like a fan favorite for life like that one i mean that's where everyone got introduced to the game with that starter deck it's just yeah. too good so um yes yeah, so we kind of mentioned earlier a little bit about uh patreon can you tell us a little bit about i mean you kind of hinted to it but you can tell us a little bit about the patreon grind and why it's been so important to you yeah so my thing with it is i try not to I try and let the Patreon be a side thing for the YouTube and not the other way around um, because I think YouTube growth is more organic and over time it'll just continue to grow. And obviously, you know, if people can th- see things for free, it's, it's good for everything. You know, people come to the channel, people want to play the game, this, that, and the other thing. The Patreon serves a few roles. So uh, for one, like I mentioned before, I, I am like, I feel like I'm naturally a writer. So I'm able to get my points across very, very clearly through that. And the other thing is it helps me support the channel uh, while I'm trying to do all these things. You know, obviously creating content all the time, trying to go to events, trying to get cards to actually play the game. You know, it's a, it is an expensive hobby, you know, when you're trying to be as dedicated as possible to it. So, like, right now the Patreon, it, uh, it helps a little bit more than the YouTube channel. But over time, I think that's going to change as, you know, as the game gets bigger and as my channel gets bigger. I think the YouTube is uh, going to become, you know, the bigger thing. And the Patreon is going to be a small side set of that. And uh, it's a way that I can, you know, get more information across to people. I only do I only do two articles a week, uh, as opposed to my five videos on YouTube. So people are getting that on Patreon. It's also like it's also a way that people can just kind of 
help the channel out. You know, if, if they felt like I've helped them out, they can kind of return the favor. And in essence, it helps me continue to help other people. So, you know, it's just like um, I'm trying to make it like one big community between the Facebook, between the uh, YouTube and the uh, Patreon, all that stuff. Just trying to big, trying to get as much Dragon Ball stuff out there as possible. Yeah, of course. And, you know, you actually hit a point that I was going to touch on, you know, showing support to those that love the game and are doing so much for it. Because at the end of the day, you know, if you know anything about YouTube, you know, YouTube has its ups and downs. It'll demonetize anything for any reason it deems necessary, like for no yeah. reason at all. And, you know, it's I think Patreon is very important right now, especially with the way YouTube is evolving, because, um, you know, like I mentioned, like YouTube goes has its ups and downs, but it's not like Twitch. Twitch, you can directly donate. Twitch, you can sub. You can yeah. get all these awesome things, all these awesome perks. But the problem with Twitch is it's not, and like kind of like your videos, it's not that short form content, like 20 minutes or lower. And it's also not live, you know, it's on demand. So it's even better for the consumer, but YouTube is screwing them over and it's important for the Patreon to kind of help support that. And uh, so what can people expect from your Patreon that's different from the YouTube? So on the Patreon, you get uh, the articles, which is different than the videos. Um, and the Patreon is always, always competitive stuff. Like my YouTube channel sometimes will be opinionated. Like if a card is super broken, I'll talk about it, give a discussion about it. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of competitive stuff on the YouTube as well. But the Patreon always competitive. So if you're trying to, you know, um, get ready for a regional, if you're trying to, like, you know, get ready for nationals, the Patreon is probably where you want to be. And in my $10 and higher tiers is where people can actually get in touch with me. And like, I work with them through their decks. Uh, if they're in the $20 tier, we play test. And I have gotten a lot of positive feedback about that as well. So that's worked out really well. But uh, even awesome. just for the $1 or $5 a month, like you're getting all those competitive articles. You can comment on them and I'll get back to you on that as well. Again, like always competitive stuff. Like someone asking me like about an intricate play line or intricate play tree. And, uh, you know, I talk through it with them as much as I can. And then, um, yeah, in the higher tiers, you know, we're on Discord. We're talking all the time. So I do try and keep it personal. And actually what I've done is for the $20 tier, which is my highest tier, I've actually capped it at 10 players because mm -hmm. I don't want to spread myself too thin. You know, obviously I could be making more money, but it's not about that. It's more about making sure that I can actually allocate my time correctly to the people who are, um, you know, are, who are paying for it essentially and uh, who are really helping me out a lot. So I've actually done that so I don't spread myself out too thin. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It, it's good. I feel like, especially with Patreon, when you're able to give those people that really want to support you and show like all that love, like you said, what like you said, all that the highest tiers. And uh, how do you play test with them? Do you do like, do you do untap? Do you do webcam? What is your ideal? Yeah. So actually, no, no, uh, no webcam. Like I can't do that with like real life cards. To me, it's just like yeah. it's too difficult. But um, <laughs> uh, as far as the other thing goes, like I give it, I let it, um, I let the player decide if they want to do untap right. or octagon. I'm able to use both. So I pretty much let them pick that for their convenience, and uh, we go from there. Nice. Have you found any difficulties with like Octagon? I, I don't know. I just don't. I don't know. Octagon's so hard for me, and I'm really glad you're able to make it work. It's just I don't know. It's so difficult. I like it sometimes. a lot, man. Octagon to me is like it's more clean. Uh, it just it's it runs really smooth. Untap is like you know it's in browsers. Sometimes it can be a little buggy for me. Uh, and yeah. like just the the images are more clear on Octagon. I like that like uh, that universal background is really nice. That's true. Well, Untap is, is really Untap nice. is definitely way more convenient for sure. Mm. So, um, what do you, so obviously, you know, there's, there's been a lot of controversy 
if you will, recently with Patreon and the Dragon Ball community. Because for whatever reason, people just don't get it. And, it. and it boggles my mind why they don't get it. What do you usually say to those people? So there's a few different things. Like, you know, one is like, oh, I'm not paying for that because I can tell you X, Y, Z and this. It's like, okay, like, you know, for one, you don't have to pay for it. That's totally cool. Uh, I'm not forcing anyone to pay for anything. I'm like a huge, huge uh, believer in like free market. You know, if, if, a, if a product works for you, you pay for it. If the product's not for you, you don't have to pay for it. That's totally fine. And uh, the thing with YouTube is like, especially when you start out, like, and I'm still definitely in like the starting out phase. So when you're first starting out, like it's unpaid work, but it is like work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you guys see a 10 minute video takes me like one to two hours to create the video. You know what I mean? So uh, that's one thing I don't think people get. The other thing too is like uh, people on Patreon are like, oh my God, like, why are you trying to turn this into a job? Like you shouldn't be able to make your hobby, uh, you know, into a job. And like, I kind of disagree with that to an extent. Like, I think if you're overcharging for things, I think if you're um, not providing consistent content, I don't think you should necessarily be rewarded for that. But on the other hand, like, it would be so, it'd be like a dream of mine if I can do Dragon Ball Super content full time, because one, I'm growing the community. Two, I'm doing something I love. Three, it's just, it's work I enjoy. So that'd be super sick. Obviously, I'm nowhere near that right now. Like, uh, nowhere near it. But um, if I can keep growing it and keep, you know, helping the game out in the process, it would be a win-win for everything because I'm still doing the free content on YouTube and uh, I want to continue to do that. But like you said before, like YouTube does not do its content creators many favors, unfortunately. So, um, you know, we're trying to make it work, man. And like, you know, like I don't think people will sometimes get how much time and work goes into a video. And I'm not asking for like pity. I'm not asking for, you know, uh, pandering. Uh, I, I love doing the work. But sometimes when people get on my case about the Patreon, it's like, Dude, like, you know, you ever heard of, like, you know, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, of course. I mean, like I said, I, I totally get it, and I don't understand. I, don't, I, re I really just don't understand. I feel like you need to be a part of it and put in that work because, you know, like like we mentioned earlier, you're going to school, you're making videos, you're contacting people, you're writing articles, you're playtesting with people, you're going over discussions over deck lists and how to do different plays so much is going on it's it does like just shut the hell up you don't have to say if you don't want to sign up don't sign up but you don't have to roast someone for just trying to get a little bit off from all the work they put in i don't know it's just it always bugged me it doesn't make any sense i get it man i try my best and i actually it's really funny i still have people who don't like me because uh back when gogeta 7 came out I made like a lot of doomsday videos like oh this this card's gonna break the game this card this and that and i was wrong like i've admitted it so many times that i was wrong and specifically from that experience i've made my content in a way that i don't make predictions like that anymore like if a card comes out seems busted i will give my opinion on it but i will not make any implications about how it's going to impact the format uh, i actually just wait for the results and then like just 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 because uh, like with gogeta 7 i was wrong and um, I try to do the same thing with, like, Kyle Ken. You know, people are like, oh, that card's super stupid, super busted. It's really good right now. It's doing well in the format. But it's not, like, you know, it's not tier zero or anything like that. So now, specifically from that, I try and wait to make my opinions. But I still have people who don't like me because of those videos I made back then. Uh, and they haven't watched any of the recent content. So if you're, if you're one of those guys watching uh, or listening, I'd recommend you give my recent stuff a shot. I think you might like it. Let me get this straight. You got roasted for being right just because you were right early. Look, I will say it for you. Gogeta 7 is an ass card. Every, like, so many people know it. It's a card that is busted. The fact that you have a card that has deflect 
in barrier, has 30k, resets your hand, no. It is 100 times worse than sell because you can get rid of sell, you can choose what you keep, no. Yeah, absolutely is, right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do people not see that, that this car is busted? Like, I don't know. I guess they didn't put two and two together with Shenron or whatever, but still, it's like, come on, dude. Nah, man. Then, I mean, the, the deck is not unbeatable by any means, but it is still... Of course. It feels so bad to lose to that. Like, I personally hate losing to... Uh, like, if I if I get outplayed, totally cool with that. If I lose to a, you know, a situation where I had no control, that feels really, really bad. Yeah. I had a friend uh, who was, you know, like we're seeing all these big boss monster plays before uh, now, but before he would play Gogeta 7 and then sit there and then next turn play uh, the old school UI Goku. The 7 oh. drop where you can't act, where you can't activate, you can't combo. Yep. Uh, yep. And give, uh, not a good time. <laughs> yeah, man. Like wishing with boss monsters is, it's pretty busted. Like a lot of people are obviously talking about world peace. Um, when when the whole child's wish thing was going on, I was also making small comments about world peace. Is like, well, world peace is basically child's wish for for big guys, and it's just as generic and can be just as broken. Like, it wasn't broken at that time, but now I think we're seeing the effects of world peace. Like, you know, you can always drop Gogeta seven on turn four, even in a normal deck, but like world peace and having the ability to drop like a Gogeta seven and a Kyle Ken in the same turn, that's pretty stupid. Yeah, especially when you see things like Gogeta, Kaioken, and then Victory Strike. Yeah, that's pretty team. stupid. Mm, doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, so you kind of brought up an interesting point that I want to talk about. Um, so, so, when it came to Child's Wish and I'm sorry, I don't know, Child's Wish and World Peace uh, being banned, uh, do you feel like do you feel like they deserve to be banned? Because me personally. I don't think Child's Wish was that much of a problem. Obviously, it had its flaws. Uh, me, personally, I feel like both of those cards could have been fixed with an easy game mechanic where you can only activate Wish once per turn. Mm -hmm. I feel like that would have balanced them out. They didn't have to be banned because Child's Wish made so many other decks playable again. It made uh, Bro the OG Broly Chain viable. It made Veggies viable again. It, made it honestly made for a super diverse meta. It's just unfortunate that... For obvious reasons, people would abuse it in like Super Shenron and stuff, and that's what caused it to be banned. But do you feel like those cards deserve to be banned, or? I I actually do 100%. Just because like actually what you said too with the once per turn thing, I actually did a t a video on my channel where I played a game of Super Shenron with once per turn Child's Wish, and I still skip turn on turn four consistently. Like wow. uh, it was it was still pretty busted. So I actually like I said before, I tried to actually put in the research. And it showed that it was still pretty busted. Um, but the, the problem with Child's Wish was, like, just way too generic. Like, in my opinion, in this game, when there have been really bad formats, like uh, Mecha Frieza, like, like um, Storm, thing, and Super Shenron, the problem is things being too generic. Like, Child's Wish brought back way too many different battle cards. Like, way too many. Storm, Storm was not even one broken card. Like, every card in Storm was just generically good. You know what I mean? Like, the leader yeah. was amazing. The one drops were amazing. The two drops were amazing. Untapping Trunks was amazing. Sense of being super good. So I think when you have things that are too generic, it causes a problem. And uh, like, for example, with World Peace, like there's uh, there's Plea for Salvation, which is a green version of World Peace, only brings back green battle cards. That, totally cool. Like the green battle card pool is not broken hmm. enough to make that card broken. But when things are too generic, I think there is a bit of a problem for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, definitely, uh, like, like to bring up a good point, you know, it's, it, it, someone will find a way to break it, even if it's just limited once per turn. Yeah, and that was my thing with World Peace, was like, you know, this card eventually can definitely be busted, and when the, when the ramp deck was created, that was, in my opinion, uh, where it was busted. It's not as busted as Super Shenron, it's not tier 0 like Super Shenron, but it is, in my opinion, pretty dumb. Yeah. Uh, what deck... What, so, you know, we've seen a lot of busted tier 0 decks. Which one, in your opinion, was the most degenerate and really made the game unfun? Man, I don't, it's really weird. Like, so Mecha Frieza, I think, was probably the most degenerate. Like, turn 1 Awaken, 15 cards in hand, like, Shugesh, that was insane. But the mirror match was actually kind of fun. Like, there was interactivity mm -hmm. there. Super Shenron, in my opinion, was very dice roll dependent and like you could win in the mirror match with skill but like skipping turn that is like a cardinal rule in card games that you just you cannot you cannot make cards that skip turns uh viable like it yeah. that is the probably the most unfun play experience i've ever had in this game and i think a lot of people would tell you the same thing like so for most unfun probably super shenron most degenerate probably mecha frieza mm. Even more than SS3, not even up there. No, SS3 was stupid, <laughs> but, like, that was a situation where, like, you could take any deck, even, like, Hrudegarn Storm. Like, if you put the SS3 leader with it, it's arguably just better. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's just arguably the best leader in the game. Even though, with the thing with SS3, there was a lot of different uh, builds for it. So that kind of diversified it. But uh, Super Shenron and Mecha, not, not that much diversity at all. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, you know, as we start to wind down here, you know, because it took a lot of your time. And once again, I really do appreciate all of it. No problem, now, man. I'm, um, I'm having a blast. I'm glad, man. I'm glad. So uh, we saw, when this is, uh, from the time of this recording, you know, we saw Marcel on the Mailman rant this week. Did you see it? Did you catch it? Uh, I heard some things, but I didn't actually watch it yet. <laughs> well, he actually challenged Shenron's Lair to, uh, to a match at Nats, team versus team. How do you have you have you guys talked about that or? Yeah, we have talked about it actually, and uh, I'm pretty sure we're gonna accept it. Just you know, just for like the integrity of the game, you know, it's gonna be pretty fun. Um, as far as what they've been talking about, I don't think I'm playing in that in particular, but um, I do think that is in the works. West. Yeah, that's cool, man. You mean obviously it will be exciting to see you know the best players from the best teams go head to head. Now, uh, how do you so when it comes to like score? Do you how do you feel about you know team play? Like, do you enjoy it as much as you enjoy like the individual, like you know like team wars and things like that? I love it, man. Like when I went to Chicago with my teammates with Marcus and Jose, like that was so much fun. Like, you know, there there's the point where you can coach your teammates, you can talk through them with plays. But honestly, like you know when when all three you're playing, that doesn't happen too too much. But it's just something about like the camaraderie, like sitting next to your teammate and just like playing and knowing that like. They need you to win. You need them to win. Like you just, you need to be a true team. Uh, that it's just really, really fun. It adds a different element to the game, which I really like. And I also like, I really like team format in this game, where you cannot play the same cards as your teammates. Like hmm. that was one of the reasons I like Shugesh. Like even though Kronoa existed, in my opinion, and I know a lot of people don't agree with this, but in my opinion, like Shugesh were was a really fun deck to play in teams because you actually could resolve it a fair amount of the time. But uh, obviously, it's just, it wasn't great for the game. But uh, I do like that aspect of it, not being able to play the same cards as your teammates. 
That's really cool. I remember uh, my first Team Wars. Uh, it was interesting. It was actually 5v5. Oh, wow. And uh, there weren't any limits. You just had to play a different leader. Mm. The team that ended up winning that and just, like, knocked everyone the hell out was uh, every single player was playing Storm, the same deck, with a different leader. Oh, wow. It's like you had U7 Vegeta from Draftbox, from um, Ultimate Box. You had SS3. You had a Rudigarn. You had Storm Trunks. And it was like... That's pretty dope, actually. Oh, man. It, it, was, it was dope to see, but it was like, oh, you don't want to be behind that. That's a little degenerate. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, do you want to give any last-minute shout-outs? want to plug anything? Yeah, man. I mean, if you guys want to find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash crossworldtcg. You want to check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash crossworldtcg. Man, thank you so much for having me on. Shout-out to uh, Sherman's Lair. Shout-out to uh, my boys in Boston. Shout-out to my boys in California. Uh, Shout-out to this community. This community is absolutely incredible. Like, I love doing what I do because of you guys. All right, with that, man, thank you so much for joining me, Joey. I really do appreciate it. Remember to follow and subscribe to his YouTube because it is awesome. Like I said, so much competitive content. Sign up for his Patreon because, like he mentioned earlier, he'll give you that 1v1 as long as he has space. <laughs> you want to beat me, that's the way to do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will catch you later.